Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 16, verse 11 to 15, and verse 40. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Farshad. Good morning, I'm Tom. Welcome to the Leeward campus. Uh, again, we are just delighted you are here. Uh, when we peek back the curtain of human history, when we look across movements and organizations that inevitably make a big difference in the world, what we often find are remarkable individuals that move the mission forward. The story of Christ Community Church is no exception to that thesis. She never wanted her name recognized or known. She didn't want visibility on the stage but she loved Jesus, and she loved what Jesus loved. In our earlier years as a faith community, a small band of believers meeting in a middle school, she believed in Christ's community and our mission. So much so that she deployed her remarkable community influence in our city and sizable material resources to make possible a church home for Christ's community, and to expand our missional footprint across Kansas City and beyond. I'll never forget the delightful dinner Liz and I had with her shortly before she went home to be with the Lord. And during the dinner, this remarkable lady expressed words of encouragement to us, the many fruitful years that she believed and decades were ahead for Christ's community. She was filled with gratitude, as she said, for having the privilege of playing a small part in the Christ community mission. And you know, when I think of her now and the cherished memories of time we spent together, my heart is truly filled with joy for the grace gift she was to me personally, and yes, to our church family. Her life and legacy of pioneering faith continues to bear lasting fruit on this campus, 
across the campuses of Christ's community, across our city, yes, across the nation now and the globe. And if she was here in person, incarnationally with us today, my hunch is she would be looking to the years and decades ahead with the same kind of pioneering spirit and the hopefulness of heart and mind of greater fruitfulness and kingdom impact for Christ's community. Her life reminds all of us that pioneering faith makes the biggest difference imaginable in the world. And clearly, that is true in our text this morning. Pioneering faith makes a big difference in the first century church. And one of the most remarkable pioneers of faith, a true trailblazer, was a woman. And her name was Lydia. Lydia moved the gospel mission forward, and she left behind to this day, across this globe, a lasting legacy. She truly is one of the amazing hidden figures in our Forgotten Family series that we are exploring across our church family this summer. So let me ask you the question, what is it about Lydia's life that had such a lasting impact? What is it? If you have a Bible, turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 16. Now, before we look at Lydia's story more closely, let's set the literary stage of where she emerges. The book of Luke, Luke Acts, is actually one main manuscript. It's a multi-volume history that Dr. Luke writes. It showcases the story of Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, and the good news it spreads throughout the world. And one thing about Luke, he repeatedly, if you've studied his gospel or the book of Acts, he showcases very intentionally, shines a bright light on the fact that the gospel knows no age or gender or socioeconomic or geographical bound. The idea of the story, the energy of Acts is God is on the move. He is all, it's already not fully yet kingdom is on the march. And churches, local churches, yes, that's the focus, are being established. They are being, being rooted, yes, in the idolatrous Roman soil of the Roman Empire. The gospel of the kingdom, Jesus proclaimed, is truly turning the world upside down. And it's transforming individual lives. And one of those lives Luke never wants us to forget, never, is a remarkable businesswoman. In just a few truth-packed verses, Luke, in his economy of effort and his brilliant Greek style, gives us an inspiring portrait of this remarkable woman with such pioneering faith. And we will notice in this small section of text that in this compact way, there are three brushstrokes to give us a beautiful picture of Lydia. The first brushstroke we are going to see is her marketplace savvy, her marketplace savvy. You will notice in the verse, first 10 verses of Acts chapter 16, they are like a travel log. You enter into this section, it's like Paul's missionary journey, and it feels like a lot of details. We find, however, Paul and his three traveling companions, that is Luke, Timothy, and Silas, now take their church planting mission to the European continent. So this is a major moment in the book of Acts. 
from what is now modern Turkey, they head west to a very strategic uh, European city, a Roman city of Philippi. And the question for any pioneer entrepreneur is, how do they go about establishing a pioneer church plant in a place that's never heard the gospel? So in verse 13, Dr. Luke tells us that it is a Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, Luke says, they go outside the city by a river where there's a group of women gathered for prayer on Shabbat or Sabbath. Now, Luke does not tell us, right, how many women have gathered, but he does tell us a lot, the fact that they are all women and they are having prayer on Shabbat or Sabbath by a river outside the city suggests with high confidence there's no Jewish synagogue in the city. And we know from contemporary Jewish writers of the first century, that to have a synagogue in a city required at least 10 men to form it. So this tells us that Philippi, there were very few Jewish people in that city. Now I want you to notice, if you have your text open, that Paul and his male companions sit down and speak to these women. Now, we hear this in English in our 21st century thought, sitting down, it's like they're just going to chat. That's what you do when you sit. But Luke has something else in mind. Remember, Paul is not just chit-chatting with these women. This is important. Luke's words, very specific, notice, we sat down, suggests to the first century reader clearly that Paul is assuming a kind of rabbinical posture of authority. He's a Jewish rabbi, traveling Jewish rabbi, and he's teaching authoritatively around Torah or the Old Testament text. That's the picture. So what he says, uh, we don't know exactly. Luke doesn't tell us, but we can imagine he connects the dots of the Old Testament trajectory of the Bible. That the Messiah was going to come, what his kingdom was going to be like, and he points to Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how Jesus the Messiah will offer them, the whole world, grace, forgiveness of sin, and a new creation life for all eternity. These are good news, words of the gospel. But whatever Paul's words were, you will notice where Luke focuses his literary lens. It's like a laser. There's one woman in particular, particularly that has a deep resonance to Paul's words, her mind and heart. And so Luke's literary lens, it's broad, now zooms in very specifically on one woman. Look at me at verse 14. Notice one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She is from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, that's Jesus, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now again, Luke, in his brilliant Greek style, has an economy of effort of words. He doesn't use many words to describe Lydia, but he actually says a lot about her he doesn't want us to miss. Okay? So first, Luke gives us her name, which is a common Gentile name, and it's actually tied to an area of the Roman Empire the area of Lydia. So some scholars argue that it's really not her first name, it's where she's from, but it's probably both. Lydia is from Lydia, okay? Probably, probably right. 
Now, because her name is listed alone and not with a man, which again we're going to see next week is kind of unusual in Acts chronology, it suggests to us not with certainty but high confidence that she was probably single, a single woman. Now, notice also that Luke begins to paint the portrait of her life and telling us that Lydia is presently living and working in Philippi. Do you see that? But she is from another city in the Roman Empire by the name of Thyatira. Now, for the first century reader, the name Thyatira would have certain connotations like the city of New York or something, okay? Thyatira was well known. It was a vibrant commercial city with a very important trade across the empire, particularly for the emperors and the wealthy. In Thyatira, Thyatira was known across the empire for expensive purple dyes that were gleaned from snails. To give you an idea how important this was in the Roman Empire, the costly dye was often a store of value or a means of barter that was more valuable across the empire than gold itself. Get the idea. It was used not just for a store of value or a barter of exchange, it was actually used for cloth. Rarely, fine fabric, exclusive fabric, worn by rich and powerful royalty. Here, not too long ago, archaeologists uncovered this actual kind of fabric in this time period at the Smithsonian. You get a picture of what it looks like and what its fabric was, how it was woven together for royalty. Still today, we have the entailments and accoutrements of history that come into this idea that purple is often the color of royalty. That's where it comes from. Now notice what Luke says about Lydia. She is a seller of purple goods. Now again, as a reader of the text, it's important when you read the text to ask some questions, to engage in the questions. Why does Luke tell us not only where Lydia is from, but what her work vocation is? Why? Or probably another way of framing this important question of engagement of the text is what is this detail's importance to Luke's broader narrative, right? So what Luke is doing, he is not only affirming the importance of Lydia's work itself, clearly, but Luke is also doing something more. What is that? He's subtly revealing some important things about her as it relates to their church-planting mission throughout the Roman Empire. So just in a phrase... Luke is telling us much. He is saying that Lydia is a savvy, successful businesswoman who sells a very, very, and some scholars say very, very, high-end fabric clothing line. Now, I'm not very gifted at this, so I ask people. Parallel it today. Here's one example, okay? Like, what it would be like today? It'd be like, kind of like the upscale line of Vera Bradley this American luggage, handbag, and luxurious clothing company. It's very high-end. This was where Lydia's market was. You'll also notice that Lydia not only sells very exclusive and expensive goods, she sells her fabric or clothing line not only in Thyatira, but also in places like Philippi. In other words, we can know with great confidence Luke is saying something. He's saying, Lydia is not a mom-and-pop shop lady. Okay, got that? 
In fact, Lydia deals with very rich clients and has a business in more than just her hometown indicates the high degree of success and high degree of wealth this Gentile businesswoman, Lydia, has amazingly achieved. So we know Luke is saying Lydia is truly a gifted leader who has an industrious and entrepreneurial spirit. And Luke is helping us to see here Lydia. Lydia is a savvy and very wealthy businesswoman. Now, for the original readers, the very language and structure of Luke, if you had a Jewish background at all, the language that Luke lays out here would immediately bring to mind an Old Testament text. It would have brought to mind the book of Proverbs. Actually, the last chapter of Proverbs, which is the crescendo of Proverbs. Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, we have a profile of wisdom personified. Right? Uh, Lydia is a matching profile perfectly to Proverbs 31. She is a successful businesswoman, generous, and all that that is, of wisdom that is the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's very important for us when we read Proverbs, Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord and ends with the wise woman. The personification of Old Testament wisdom is not a king. It is not a priest. It is a businesswoman. Let that sink in for just a moment. And to top it off, if you want to read Proverbs 31, you'll notice that the personification of wisdom is a woman who's in the marketplace who is the seller of purple goods. Purple fabric. A high-end marketplace businesswoman. In many ways, for Jewish readers, they would have picked up on this. And they knew that Proverbs builds to the very end. Do you know what the last verse of the book of Proverbs says? Truly, it honors the ultimate picture of wisdom of a businesswoman savvy and work excellence in the marketplace. This is how the book of Proverbs ends. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That is in the marketplace. Clearly, Luke wants to know Lydia was Proverbs 31. Her good character, her brilliant work, all stood out. Luke does not want any of us to miss that. And as a reader looking back, we can see something. And that will be Lydia's entrepreneurial spirit, her energy, her faith in the marketplace, her wise business savvy, and her sizable economic capacity will help prepare and position her for a pioneering role in establishing the church at Philippi and across the Roman Empire. It is also very likely, not certain, but very likely to connect the dots, that Lydia also helped establish a church that's established later, Thyatira, in her hometown. Thyatira is a church, flourishing church, that is featured in the book of Revelation, in case you remember. That's Lydia's home base 
a business operation. So what you see first in this remarkable woman is she's a woman in the marketplace with incredible marketplace savvy, down to earth, but she's also Godward focused. This is where Luke goes next. Lydia, he says, was, quote, look at a worshiper of God. Now, there's so much in this short phrase. Let me unpack it a little. Luke uses just a few words to communicate a whole lot about Lydia. It is very probable that Lydia grew up like Luke, who's writing this, Dr. Luke, in a pagan Gentile context. And along the way, her longing heart sought out the one true God, y'all, to worship and honor. In her spiritual quest, Lydia had been drawn to the Jewish faith in the Old Testament scriptures. We know in this time period that Thyatira had a very vibrant Jewish community and a very vibrant synagogue. So likely, Lydia was not yet a full convert to Judaism, but her gathering with the other women for prayer in Philippi on a Sabbath morning tells us she had a deep love and longing for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Clearly, her spiritual life has mattered a great deal to her, and she has lived her life in the marketplace with a Godward love, a spiritual sensitivity, and an amazing direction. Lydia had a love for God, clearly. And in a mysterious way of God's wonderful providence, delightful, the hound of heaven has been pursuing this beautiful woman. And then in God's perfect timing, just imagine this, walk in the sandals of the first century. In this place, two very unlikely people meet. Do you get it? It's almost humorous. Here is a very Gentile woman, very successful marketplace woman, encountering a Jewish rabbi by the name of Paul. And it's this rabbi that tells her the good news of Jesus. A rabbi who had encountered the living Jesus on a dusty road to Damascus shortly before that. Is that awesome? And Luke describes the watershed conversion to Jesus in this words. He said, Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul's words here really matter. Let's not miss that. The gospel needs to be proclaimed in order to be heard, of course. But we must not also miss that it was the Holy Spirit of God who changed Lydia's heart. And I want you to notice something. You have your text open. Luke's first person plural grammar, that's that little us, in the first part of verse 14, suggests something important we shouldn't miss. And that is in this prayer gathering, in this conversation, more than Paul spoke, his traveling companion spoke. And I can imagine Luke also sharing his conversion story with Lydia and the women by the river. They are both Gentiles. They've been converted, converted to Messiah Jesus. And I have to say, my hunch is, I think it's informed, I think it's right, is Luke and Lydia developed this special bond of fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's no wonder that Luke chooses Lydia to showcase and to show her legacy as the church moves across the Roman Empire. Pause and think with me for a moment. Here we have... A savvy, wealthy, Gentile businesswoman who becomes, yes, the very first recorded convert to Christ in Europe. That's how the church started in Europe. Now that should be awesome. And we are reminded by Luke over and over again 
of something none of us should miss this morning. There is no person that God does not deeply love. There is no place where God's grace cannot reach. And there is no space where Jesus' kingdom is not on the march. Luke simply tells us Lydia and her entire household or her employees, sort of their whole group, are baptized. Paul, can you imagine Paul, Luke, and Timothy and Silas high-fiving? Can you imagine the sense that they have the manifest presence of the Lord in front of them and the Holy Spirit's transformation right in front of their eyes as they walk into this town? Wow. So Lydia's pioneering faith is very down-to-earth, has marketplace savvy. It is Godward, but notice where Luke goes. It exudes a generous hospitality. That's the third brushstroke. Verse 15, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in, to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then Luke adds something he doesn't need to add, but he does. And she prevailed upon us. There's a lot here, y'all. But I want you to notice her hospitality. The first indication of her transformation of heart to Jesus was her open home, open hands, her hospitality. The word prevail is very intense in the Greek text. <laughs> and it, it paints a picture of this remarkable business leader who Paul or the commandments couldn't, couldn't say no to. In fact, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this so brilliantly. He says, she would not take no for an answer. That's Lydia. And hearing the word hospitality, right, we, we tend to think of providing a meal for someone to eat or a bed to sleep on. And of course, that is important, an important part of hospitality. But hospitality, which literally means the Greek lover of strangers, is a generous way of life, a comprehensive way of living. It's a warm and loving posture where we in Jesus' name welcome the stranger, the other, into our lives. Yes, and into our offices, into our workplaces, into our faith community, into our homes. And when we examine the New Testament, Christianity, we see one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian community is hospitality. A book I recommend, there are three or four really good ones out right now, but this one I think is the best, in my opinion, Making Room. It's written by Christine Pohl. It's called Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. It's a wonderful book. Let me give you just a little appetizer if you want to pursue this more. She writes, understanding the church as God's household has significant implications for hospitality. More than anywhere else, when we gather as a church, our practice of hospitality should reflect God's gracious welcome. Christine Pohl is reminding all of us that hospitality is not merely an individual pursuit, it's a faith community culture. It's an incarnational stamp of gospel authenticity. Lydia's hospitable life and generous lifestyle in all dimensions is featured here by Luke. Not only inviting four weary travelers into her home, I don't want to dismiss that, that's awesome, but there's much more here. She's providing her home as a place where the church at Philippi will begin to meet and grow. Luke tells us, that after Paul and Silas, later in the chapter, are released from prison, the city authorities tell them to leave the city, and they head to Lydia's house. This is not just for a cup of coffee or tea. 
there's something more going on. If you look at the language, Luke is very clear here. In verse 40, as the chapter ends, you see a hint that there are a group of believers already meeting together in her house. Luke writes, so when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, notice brothers or sisters, the group, they encouraged them and then they left. See, Lydia not only opened her heart to Jesus, she opened her hands and her home and her material resources to Jesus and his mission as well. The idea is when Lydia was converted to Jesus, she's all in with Jesus. She's all in with Jesus' gospel mission, his church money mission, his disciple-making mission. And Lydia is a pioneer pillar in the new growing church at Philippi. Though her name is one of my curiosities, you can answer this question, talk to me. Though her name is not specifically mentioned in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we just looked at this as a church family. He often lists leaders in churches. Her name is absent in Philippians, the book. Again, I have lots of curiosity about that. Did she move back to Thyatira? Did something happen to her? I just don't know. But we do know this. In the letter to the Philippians, we know that her influence her generosity, her leadership is clearly felt to shape that church. The Philippian church, if you remember, was a great joy to Paul's heart. No wonder. It was their hospitality, their culture, but it was their financial generosity to the mission of the gospel to the world that stood out to Paul. In fact, this church, this church at Philippi, fueled Paul's mission to plant churches across Rome, across, in Rome and across the Roman Empire. You better believe that Lydia was at the heart of that both in heart and her resources, to spread the gospel to the world. It was her marketplace savvy, her Godward focus, her generous hospitality that came together to make this lasting legacy of pioneering faith. And her life and legacy speak compelling truth to us, and that's this. Even the smallest seeds of pioneering faith can produce the most amazing lasting fruit for God's glory and his mission in the world. I want to suggest to you that pioneering faith in an awesome God's hand is the most powerful change agent in the world. And it's available to each one of us, wherever God has placed us. I want to give you three reminders of reflection and application this morning from Lydia's pioneering life. One about her work, about her hospitality, and her generosity. First, our work matters more than we realize. What God has called you to do on Monday matters. As an apprentice of Jesus, your work calling, whatever that contribution is, paid, unpaid, volunteering, or in retirement, to be a business person, to be a stay-at-home spouse, to be a teacher, a doctor, a mental health professional, a business leader, an artist, a lawyer, a writer, a food service worker, a transportation worker, a student, a volunteer, whatever, you can add whatever God has called you, is no less important or less spiritual than my calling as a pastor. Each one of our work vocations is a vital form of worship. Your primary place of worship is not Sunday morning. Yes, Sunday morning matters, okay? And it's very important and wonderful. But it's on Monday morning, wherever God has called you to serve Him, that's your place of greatest worship. And what you are called to do in your work world shapes you and can be used greatly to expand Jesus' kingdom, not only in your workplace, but in the broader kingdom of God. So as yoked apprentices of Jesus, if you enter his yoke of apprenticeship, 
and you're all in with him. Your spiritual gifting and skills and resources are never wasted in the marketplace. Rather, they are further developed and used for the glory of God and the love of your neighbor, both near and far across the globe. And your marketplace gifts can and are often used in other ways that advances God's kingdom. So the message from Lydia's life and Luke, who's on a missionary journey of planting churches, to his readers is, bloom where you're planted. Lydia, bloom where you're planted. Your primary place of spiritual formation and gospel mission is the place where God has called you to the majority of your week, whatever that is. And to further equip you, y'all, and give you a greater imagination for your Monday callings and the importance they are to God's redemptive mission in the world, I want to encourage each one of you to sign up for the upcoming Common Good Conference put on by Made to Flourish. It's an incredible opportunity for you. October 1st, go to Made to Flourish, sign up. Incredibly transformational. Our work matters more than we ever realize, but also so our hospitality. You know, our COVID-19 world has been and continues to be, right, a very difficult time in our life. But it's really impacting this hospitable role we have. Now, let's continue to be creative, okay, in reaching out to others, wise but creative, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our church family. And maybe it is inviting a newer person of Christ's community to our home or to coffee, connecting with a fellow member of Christ's community you maybe haven't seen for a long time in person. Maybe it's taking the initiative with a neighbor or inviting a fellow worker or someone in your workplace to coffee or lunch this week. Here's why. Hospitality is at the heart of gospel living. Rosaria Butterfield's story is so amazing, and if you've not read it or heard about her, she's amazing. She was a professor in New York. She was converted from an atheistic worldview, an atheistic, feminist, lesbian life and ideology. And she came to Jesus Christ. And she tells a story, this brilliant professor tells a story of finding Christ in the hospitality of other Christians who invited her into their home. And welcomed her into their life. In her book, which is fascinating, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Is that a great title? Rosaria Butterfield says, let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard. You can have community, gymnasium, workout place, a garden. For the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family. The family of God. How can we be creative and express love for others and invite other strangers into our life and world? Our gospel mission and hospitable witness, friends, has not now suddenly been suspended because of COVID. COVID has forced us, right, to think and pray innovatively, to use technology perhaps differently and wisely. But we need to continue to reach out to others by word and deed with the good news of the gospel. This past week, I was reminded of that. I met with a dear elderly couple who are members of Christ's community on the back of their deck behind their house. 
Because of COVID-19, he and his wife are very vulnerable about their age. And they have not been able to be here. They used to sit right there in person for almost 18 months. And it was so sweet to be with them, to pray with them, to catch up with their lives. So it reminded me, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. We need to be together as much as possible, again with wisdom. Isolation, we are learning this more and more. We knew it before, but from almost every discipline of human well-being is taking a massive toll in so many ways. Yes, physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And it is hindering our hospitable witness to others. Let's remember, Jesus welcoming us is at the heart of the gospel. And there's good news for each of us, friends, that a hospitable God loved us so much that we as lost strangers welcomed us home with his lavish love and his unmerited grace. And Jesus has invited us to be his, to know him, to be known by him, to be part of his family. And out of his generous and sacrificial love, Jesus generously has prevailed on us. And if you have not yet responded to Jesus, will you today repent of your sin and embrace him by faith as your Lord and Savior? Lydia would want you to do. Lastly, our generosity matters more than we realize. Lydia's generosity extended way beyond her acts of hospitality. She supported the mission of the church. We see hints here in Acts 16 how she generously stewarded her material wealth for planting churches across the empire and advancing the kingdom. And let me say, this is an argument from silence, but it fits the rest of canonical scripture. And it's not said enough, especially by preachers. There is no indication in these texts or the New Testament text that as a follower of Jesus, Lydia now gave all her wealth away or embraced some vow of poverty or stopped her business calling. Quite the contrary. The evidence is Lydia blossomed and bloomed in the marketplace where God had specifically gifted her and planted her for his glory. My sense is, reading the text, Through the lens of pioneering faith, Lydia is one of the great heroes of the faith. She generously stewarded her social status that mattered. Her leadership influence, certainly in these cities and maybe beyond. Her networks, her leadership gifts, her family, her material wealth, her business influence for the kingdom. And when we read her story, we are called to do the same. For the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. And we must remember that even the smallest seeds of our pioneering faith can produce lasting fruit. This morning, I want to invite up Maria Odell. She's a devoted follower of Jesus. She and Dan have been a member of the Christ Community family in the Leeward campus, I think, for 11 years. She's a wonderful marketplace leader. And I wanted to come and have a conversation with her. Maria, come on up. It's a really delight to be a teacher of God's word and not only to transcend first century, but to think of so many of you and people like Maria and the Christ community family that model this. 
so beautifully. And, and as I was working on this message, I could not help but think of you, Maria. So thank you for being willing to, this is the third service, thank you for willing to do this all morning. But um, I'd love to just have you share a little bit. First of all, where, where has Jesus called you this time tomorrow to be his apprentice and honor him? Where, where has he called you? Well, my husband and I, we sell real estate <laughs> all over the city. And uh, what we realized, uh, we've been selling real estate for 25 years now. And after a few years of being in business, we um, realized that we were naturally gifted for um, the work that we were given. And we decided that this was more than just a job for us. And it truly became a vocation and a calling. And we, we decided that there was more purpose and mission into our work. And, and when we made that decision, everything changed in our business. Um, God continued to just put more people in front of us that needed, that needed to be ministered to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So tell, thank you. So tell us like maybe one really exciting joy you have on a Monday or wherever you start, I guess you work mm -hmm. beyond Mondays, <laughs> but what's like one real joy where you feel this pleasure when you serve them in the marketplace and what's maybe one challenge okay. as an apprentice? Well, um, most people are moving because they're under some major stressors in life. Um, the top five stressors, one of them includes moving, <laughs> but the others are death and divorce and illness and, and job loss. And one of the greatest joys we have is to be able to minister to people truly and, and invite them to church and pray for them and pray with them uh, when they're going through some real challenging times in life. And um, that's, that's really what makes it all worthwhile for us. And I'd say one of the challenges is just staying focused on that because it's amazing when you set your heart to do something, yeah. <laughs> all the shiny objects that come your way and try to take you off course. So we just try to stay, um, you know, focused on our, on our, on our mission. And um, that truly is the biggest challenge. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, like, we want to pray for you, okay? So uh, how can we pray for you and your work and where God has called you? What would be a prayer request? Well, I would say right now, like, we are looking for a couple of key people to add to our team. Um, and our team is, is our family, as our clients are. So it's, it's really important that we find the right people um, and that's what we're praying for right now. <laughs> so I know that's great. We will pray. I know a lot of people are looking for those mm -hmm. employees yes. <laughs> or, or team pe team, teammates right mm -hmm. now. So uh, uh, we want to pray for you. And uh, again, thank you for who you are, who you are, what you do. So grateful. Thank you for giving us time all morning this wow. morning with your busy schedule. Absolutely. And I know Maria pr uh, asked in the first service to pray for her son who broke his leg. And we want to also pray for them. Could you just bow with me in prayer? And again, if you are a part of the marketplace in any way, may you feel these prayers and the importance of your Monday work as we pray for Maria. So Lord, thank you for the joy we have of serving you wherever God has called us. So I pray for Maria that you would continue to establish the work of her hands, that you would be her provider and protector, that you would draw so close to her. May she, may she experience your presence and pleasure in the marketplace where she serves you. And Lord, you are the great provider and so I continue to ask that you'd provide the right people for their team and their organization to serve you 
uh, and to serve their neighbor. So bless the work of our hands. Thank you for her. Thank you for all who are here this morning who serve in the marketplace as they love you and love their neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name.